everyone's help, those who came, clapped, sang, be in the house of God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11 will be our foundational theme for the year. I am going to preach this sermon today, and then I'm going to preach different elements of this story throughout the year, every couple of months or so. But I've been thinking about our theme for a long time, usually around October, November time. I really start to try and get the mind of God for a, um, a new theme for the next year. And um, I was praying about it. I discussed this with a lot of pastors. I was actually stirred by the book of Acts, reading the book of Acts and the Gospels, when we started reading the New Testament again. And I found my scripture that I was going to use, and then... Um, I was looking around in some other churches. I looked at the Times Square church, and then I, I decided this is what I'm going to do for the theme. And then that pastor of the Times Square church preached the exact same title as what I was, what I was thinking. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm in tune. That's pretty solid. And then uh, I was talking to Pastor Garrett King, uh, the assistant in Tucson. He's going to come for us at the end of the year. And I was talking to him about the theme. And their theme for their year in Pastor Harold Warner's church is the exact same scripture that I had. And I was like, you know what? Thank you very much, God. I'm in tune. I'm hearing from God. It's nice when you hear from God and then it's like, you actually hear from God. Not, not those, I felt the Lord, but you, yeah, whatever. When you actually hear from God and you're like, yes, I'm in tune. So this year, the theme for this year is going to be the God of miracles. And we're going to see God do great miracles, not only in our personal lives, but also in our families, in our church, and, and in every area. Because if we lose the element of miracles, then we've lost what Christianity really is all about. The nature of Christianity is spiritual, or the supernatural. The foundation of Christianity is based in the supernatural. If Christianity does not have the supernatural, what makes us different than any other religion? When we say things like God is moving, God is working, God is acting, we are saying God is moving in super natural ways if we if we reduce christianity to just try really hard that's you know you try really hard at your sports team just try really hard any at work that that we've missed an, a, a powerful element and the scriptures preach a very very different message and i believe that jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and what god did in the bible he's going to do again in our lives he is doing again in our lives healing financially pr provision but he meets our spiritual needs and, and god's going to touch us so the point of a theme for the year is to point our church in a direction, an area of, of um, how do I say, uh, influence or to, to uh, lift up, promote a certain area that we want to focus on. And I want to really discuss this morning what we believe about the supernatural and the miraculous. And so don't, don't go all weird on me this morning. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going weird. It's just this is what the Bible says. Some people take the miraculous to this weird state. And, you know, I saw a cloud and therefore that means I need to go move to Australia. That's, that, no. And so God will speak and God's going to deliver us. And so I'm going to preach a sermon this morning. I've entitled The God of Miracles from Judges 6, starting in verse 11. Bible says, an angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in uh, Ophrah. I thought it was Ophrah for ages, but then I was like, oh no, it's Ophrah, there's age. Which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while, he was, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide her from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of which our fathers told us about? That's the, really the, the main question that I'm, I'm going to be discussing today and through this, this year. Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. 
the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the word. But God, we're more grateful that we have you in our lives, that you work in the supernatural, that you are a way maker, God, that you make work in the miraculous law, that we don't serve a dead God, we don't serve a statue, but we serve the Lord most high and we dedicate this service this year into your hands, God. We're believing and we're expecting miracles to move. God, show yourself strong, God, and we'll be careful to give you all the glory. God, increase our faith to believe for great and mighty things this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody says... Amen. First, I want to look at the God of miracles. And the background to our text is that Israel was in trouble and they were dominated by the Midianites, the enemy. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. And it goes on and how they prevailed above them. So for seven years, think about this. They will plant their crops, all their, all their fruit and vegetables, and they'll be able to eat. They'll plant for the year their wheat. And at the end of the year, they're about to produce their harvest after, after you know, blood, sweat, and tears of putting all this effort in to get this harvest. At the end of the year, the enemy will come, and just before they're about to grab the harvest, the enemy will come and take away all that they've worked for. They've labored so hard for this, and just to the end, it's taken away, and not one year, not two years, not five years, but seven years unending. Can you imagine not getting paid for seven years? Can you imagine laboring for seven years and not seeing one dollar come back to you? And this is what they're going through here. And the lesson we learn is that we are people of limited power. We must grasp that, that understanding. In life, you, we quickly become aware that we have limited power. I could preach a sermon on hell and people here will still not get saved. Why? Because I don't have the power. God has the power. It's not about my words. It's not about my, um, my counseling. It's not about our programs. It's not if we had a better flyer, more people will come. If we had a better location, if we had purple seats, if we had blue seats, if we had red seats, if we had pink seats. It's got nothing to do with that. You have to understand that we can only do so much. In Luke chapter 5, the disciples who were fishermen were fishing all night and caught nothing. Then Jesus comes and they catch everything. Because we have limited power. The disciples in Matthew 17, they're trying to cast out a demon and they couldn't. Why? Because we have limited power. And sometimes when our power isn't moving and nothing's happening, we get discouraged, we get weary, we get exhausted, and we give up. Amen? And this is where we find Gideon. It says in the text that Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, when you first read that, it didn't mean anything to you. But this is one of the dumbest scriptures in the whole Bible. So let me explain. I've got a video here of what it means to, to, uh, to thresh wheat. Now, when you're threshing wheat, there's wheat and chaff, and they're both connected here. So what they do, they get it in these bags, and they'll, they'll break it up, right? And so they'll break up all the wheat, and then what they do, they throw it in the air, and the wind will throw away the chaff, and the seeds of the wheat will fall to the ground. So that's how they get it. And you'll see here, they use it, they use it their fan. Like obviously, this is much more modern than it was back then. So all that chaff is leaving, and the wheat, seeds of wheat are falling to the ground. So that's a, a good example here. So this is what he's trying to do. Okay, but the question is, you can stop that now. Where is he doing it? The Bible says he's doing it in the wine press. He's doing it indoors. There's no wind indoors. And he's trying to separate the wheat and the chaff. 
inside. Now, this is stupid. How is he doing this? Throwing the air, like, <laughs> like, what are you doing, Gideon? Like, this is insanity in the highest. How are you going to fix this? But this is what it looks like when we try and live for God in our own power. You're trying to do something that is impossible. It's supposed to be done on the tops of the mountain through the wind, and the wind represents the Holy Spirit, and it's supposed to be moved by the Holy Ghost. But too many times we're trying to move the Holy Ghost, and our Holy Ghost is actually us. We think the Holy Ghost is special music. Yeah, the Holy Ghost is if I just do it like this and I do it like that. Absolutely not. We need God to move in our circumstances because we are limited people. And so in our text, Gideon's getting frustrated, as we would. He's probably getting, you know, he's probably hyperventilating. He's probably getting lightheaded from blowing all morning. And here he asks this question in our text. Where, is, uh, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? See, God had a reputation of being a miracle-working God. They didn't have the Bible back then, but they had stories, and they, they, it was founded from generation to generation. They'll tell them, God did this, and God did that, and God did this. But here is Gideon trying to do everything by himself. Good news, church. God still can do miracles today. God is a miracle-working God. We work in the natural, but God works in the supernatural, and we must connect to Him. Gideon is frustrated because he's not seeing the supernatural, but he's only working in the natural. And we need God to move. So let's, let's get a definition of what a miracle is. Because we think a miracle is we found $2 on the street. Oh, it's a miracle. No, it's not. All right. So this is what a miracle is. It says in the, in the Greek, it means pala, which is to do something wonderful, to do something extraordinary or difficult. It signifies the wondrous works of God, especially his deliverance. The, verb, uh, the verbal root of pala is a basic meaning by... Uh, meaning be pass, uh, surpassing and conveys the idea to be extraordinary beyond one's imagination or expectations or to be too difficult beyond one's capability. God does those things. Amen. Oh, amen myself. It's okay. It's fine. God can still do things which you think are too difficult. God could do those things which would say, it's un we are incapable of doing this. There is a problem here. Beyond your imagination and beyond our capabilities. And that is the type of God that we serve. We don't just serve this guy up on a planet somewhere. We serve the God who is able to work these things in our life. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Luke 18, 27. And he said, these things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The things which we see, uh, that nothing can be done about that. God says, I can still do those things. I can change those situations. I can go all morning about the miracles of God. Don't worry, I'm not, but I might. The ten plagues of Egypt, not one of them touched the Israelites. Can you imagine frogs running through all of New Zealand except in our church? That'd be weird, right? Everyone will flock to our church then. Imagine if there was locusts and boils and all these things happen everywhere except our church building. Imagine if there was darkness through all of New Zealand, so dark that it could be felt, that darkness. But in our church, it was bright as the sun was shining just directly on our church. And that's the type of miracles God did. We know the Red Sea. We know the walls of Jericho. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Everybody else gets burnt except for them. Daniel in the lion's den. I, and there's many, many more because we serve a miracle-working God. You know, even sinners believe that God works miracles. That's why before you got saved, when you're in trouble, you said, oh, God, help me. Because there's something inside of us that understands that only God can help us. We, we need God. It's in us. And because of the goodness of God, another level of God's revelation of a miracle worker, it's got now miracles are not just only done by God, but they are now done through us. 
It is our portion. Miracles are our portion. The power of miracles has been handed to you and I. Look what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Jesus is saying, guys, you're going to do more, greater works than I did. Now, that's a big statement because Jesus healed the sick. Jesus opened blind eyes. Jesus resurrected the dead. So do we believe what Jesus said or was Jesus just, you know, had too much homos that morning or something like that, right? So what's he saying here? Saying that this is available to you and I, Mark 16, 17 and 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. Say amen if you believe. Okay. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Raise your hand if you, if you believe in God. Raise your hand nice and high. Well, those miracles are your portion for those who believe. Jesus says, this will follow you. It says later on in verse 20 of Mark 16, that as they preached the gospel, accompanying signs worked through them. Pastor Mitchell said, the greatest way churches grow is through supernatural miracles. The reason is because you can't deny a miracle. Acts 4.14, and seeing the men... Uh, the man who had been healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. This man got healed, he was, a, he was a, uh, paralyzed, he was a cripple. And they see him standing with all the disciples. What are they going to say? <laughs> what are they? No, God's not real. This guy was a cripple just before. He's standing right here. How could you deny God? And I believe with all my heart, all my heart, that this year we're going to see some crazy miracles. God's going to move in some crazy ways. What, what are they going to say about God when someone comes to our church in a wheelchair and walks out? What are they going to say? There's nothing they could say. They, when that happens, we're going to hang the wheelchair probably like from the, from the back there or something. I'm going to be like, yeah, what? Say what? Do something now. Say, say something. What? You say God's not, God's not real? The Azusa Street revival, and you could read about this, all sorts of miracles were happening. Like people that were, that were coming in wheelchairs were healed. People that had no teeth or rotten teeth, they were praying for their teeth and new teeth were popping out. That's crazy stuff for me. But God did it. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't back, it was, it, was in the 19, it was in the 1900s. God was doing extraordinary miracles. People that had, um, uh, what's, it, what's it called? What? Arthritis, that's the one. Uh, arthritis, he couldn't play piano. He used to play piano. He couldn't play because of all the arthritis. His hands were all swelled up. They prayed for him. He started playing piano and slowly, slowly, the, the swelling went down and he was able to play piano again. Children that couldn't speak were able to speak, and, and great things happened in these revivals. As we read through the book of Acts, what stood out to me was all the miracles that happened. Did you, when we read the book of Acts, did you realize that like every seven verses, there's a new miracle? Crazy things are happening. Acts 5, 12 to 16. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And believers were increasing, uh, increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. This is because of the miracles. So this is verse 15. It's crazy. So they brought out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. So the shadow of Peter touched someone and they were healed. Also, a multitude gathered uh, from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's what the church is all about. Acts 19, 12, 11 and 12. 
God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. So he goes like this. And then it touches someone and they get healed. And to many people are like, no, that can't happen. Yeah, because we only think in the natural. But God can do supernatural things. He is all-powerful. Christianity, we have to understand, Christianity, the foundation is power, not theology. Not theology. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The gospel is not just some smart words. And we've, unfortunately, the Christianity, and especially sermons today, have come to just smart words. We just need a life coach. We just need an inspirational message. We just need some words of encouragement. No, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. And if, and if we depend on human abilities, we're all finished. Look, I try and we, we, we rhyme some words and we make our points start the same letter. That's just to help with the understanding. But that is not my faith. My, my faith to change you is not that we start with the, 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 the God of miracles, the gap of miracles, and the gaining of miracles. Whoa. No, 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 it's that the power of God will live inside of you. And that things will radically change. A lot of religions say a lot of words, but they don't have a lot of power. Let that not be said about the Potter's House Church here in Onihanga. They say a lot of words, they have no power. Because we serve an all-powerful God. So these miracles, we serve a God of miracles, and those miracles are available to us today. All right? Beck, um, as many of you know, we needed to move house. And so Beck, and like the next day, she knew that I was doing this. I discussed this with her. And so the next day, we're sitting on the couch looking for houses. And she, we own a little bony finger pointing in my face. And she's like laughing. She's like, you want to do the God of miracles for your theme? Well, God better get us a house before the, the, the theme of the year. Because then how could you say God's a God of miracles if, you know, if nothing happens? And she's laughing. She's like, it's your fault that we have to move houses. You, it's you, it's you. And I was just sitting there. I was like, don't at me because God can. You think, okay, you want to go there? So this is, um, I've got here the, the things that Beck prayed for for the house. This, this, I've said this many times. But God does it every single time. Safe location, 10 minutes to church, living, living and lounge room to be north-facing and have big windows so you can get natural light for all year round. Minimum three-bedroom bathroom to have a separate bath. Lots of storage, outdoor area for fellowship and for Isaiah to safely play double garage that's watertight. Stainless steel appliances and kitchen, dishwasher, ventilation system, worn house with good heating, wood fire would be preferred, separate laundry. And God did all of that. Don't at me, Beck. I'm, don't, won't. Don't. Don't even try. Don't point your finger in my face. Because <laughs> God's a miracle-working God. Sane this week, uh, she sent me a message. This is a testimony. She says, as you said, pray specifically. So I prayed Monday to fr- for a job, Monday to Friday, uh, and an eight-to-five job just for the ha-has. Because my job requires one day on the weekend. Uh, uh, so it meant I work every Saturday, which really played with me because I know how important outreach is and, and how much I wanted to really commit to outreach at this new year. Well, long story long, my job made, pretty funny. My job made me do an interview, job, uh, interview for just an hour ago to be the person on, on medic, which is a role I am definitely not trained for and never been offered to a newbie, but hours 8 to 5 and Monday to Friday, and guess what? I got the job. They're saying they've never offered it to anyone new, and yet after next week I start the new role. This role only has two people in the role because it's so important. Praise God. She prayed for it. They gave her this job that she's not qualified for in the next hour, and she got it that day. 
You're telling me God doesn't hear our prayer? God doesn't want to move in the supernatural? And one of my favorite ones, I tell this story everywhere, is about Jane and Josiah. When, when Josiah, after her 12, I, I, let me talk, back up a bit. So Jane got pregnant, and God speaks to me in dreams, and I've told this to your church, but don't go weird on me. I just, he just does, all right? So whatever. Not every dream, but, but most dreams. So God, God speaks to me. So God spoke to me very clearly about Jane and about how uh, there were some complications. And God spoke to me very, very clearly that there were some complications that she'll be bleeding, and they, they're going to lose the baby. God said that very, very clearly in my dream. Exactly that. The next Sunday, Jane came to me and said, Pastor, I've been bleeding. And straight away, that dream comes to mind. And I'm like, oh, God. So she has the 12-week scan. And there's, the baby's got all these deformities. They're going to have all these issues. Not going not to come out right. Going to have all these problems with his limbs. After 15 weeks, her placenta broke. Basically meant certain death. And they, they told her that. So you're going to have a miscarriage. It's just this is what it is. Or a stillborn. Is that right, Jane? Am I lying? That's, that's what they said. That's what they said. Anyway, fire up. <laughs> we prayed so hard, didn't we, Jane? And he, that this 10-pound healthy baby came out. He's getting bigger every day. Like, what do you feed this kid? It's completely healthy. Because God wants to do miracles. And we serve a miracle-working God. Amen. Let's look secondly at the gap of miracles. I remember getting home from school. We had an old fireplace at home. and My dad had a drop saw. And so I tried using it to cut some wood because no one was home. And I was at the backyard. I'm trying to cut it, but there was, the, the power wasn't connected. I was very frustrated. So I grabbed the handsaw, and I'm cutting. And I'm cutting this wood. And for hours, I'm cutting before my parents came home. And what could have been done in five minutes with a drop saw took me hours. I had the machine, but I had no power. And many people today say they have Christianity, but they have no power. And they live life very, very difficult. Without, pan, without, Christianity, without power, Christianity is like having a drop saw, but with no power. It's pointless. What's, what's the point? You might as well sell it, get rid of it. So here we find Gideon. He knows the miracles. He knows the power. He knows the stories. He understands what God does, but he hasn't experienced it. So the big question is why? If God is a God of miracles, why isn't Gideon experiencing the miracles? Verse 13, the Bible says, And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, look, look at his faith right here. If the Lord is with us, why then are all these, these things happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us to the hands of the Midianites? That's a pretty harsh statement to say to God face to face. And sometimes we have that attitude too. Well, if God's so good, why, why is this happening? Why am I going through this if God's so great? Why can't God do a miracle for me? And you can come to wrong conclusions, like Gideon, and say, God's forsaken me. <laughs> but God was right there the whole time. So I don't, God's a sovereign God. There's some things we pray for, and God does. Some things we pray for, God does, it doesn't happen. Pastor Warner is in a wheelchair. But he's leading the most powerful church that we have, besides the Prescott Church. So he's not going to be healed of that. So but he prays for people to get healed. So we get our theology from the word of God. God said it and that's it, right? We don't get it from experience. So I can't give you every reason why and why not. I'm not going to go there. But I think the main reason why we don't see miracles today is because of this. It's because God flows miracles through people who flow with him. You must grasp this. 
God will, will not perform the, the miraculous for people, people who are not flowing with him. The theme of Judges, as you read through Judges, basically, the, the, if you had to sum up Judges in one sentence, is that the people did what was right in their own eyes. That's Judges. Verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were doing what they want. They're not living for God. They don't care about God. They only start caring about God when they need a miracle. <laughs> and then, God, why haven't you done a miracle for? God said, why would I have to give you a miracle if you're not flowing with me? You're not doing what I said to do. You're not being obedient. God doesn't work like that. God flows miracles to people who flow with him. Gideon references the, the miracles of Egypt. He says, didn't, didn't God, you brought us out of Egypt? How come you're not doing that for me? That was because Moses was flowing with God. Moses was obedient to God and he opened the Red Sea and they walked on dry land. That great miracle, one of the greatest in the whole Bible, because a man flowed and was obedient to the calling and the will and purposes of God. Think about this. They get through the Red Sea. They're in a desert. How are you going to drink in a desert? So God says, hmm, I could just make a lake. I could make a river. Actually, go speak to that rock and you'll get water from a rock. Now, can we really grasp this? 40 years, they got water from a rock. Now, I don't know, last time you checked, there's no water in rocks. Are we, are we on the same page here? Maybe New Zealand rocks are different to Australian rocks. No water. There's a saying, trying to get water from a rock, that means you can't get anything. And they fed, and they satisfied water for 2 million people for 40 years from a rock. How much water came out of this rock? Talk about a miracle. And why did God do that? Because Moses flowed with God. And God performed miracles. They stopped the river Jordan going into the, into the uh, land, the Canaan, into the promised land. The walls of Jericho, we spoke about that on Wednesday night, how, how they came crashing down. They won all these battles. But then, Joshua 7, they lost the battle. That's the battle of Ai. This is a small city, should have been defeated, not many people there. And they lost, the Israelites lost this battle. Why? Because there's a man, Achan, who took some of the stuff that was dedicated to God and hid it in his tent. And that stopped the flow of God's miracles. And a city that should have been defeated actually defeated them. You know what? Unfortunately, guys, throughout history, man has a history of stopping God's flow of miracles. It's not God. It's us. We keep saying, why hasn't God done this? Why haven't you, do, you done what God told you to do? God does the miraculous, then it gets to our head. And then God pulls his hand back. says, you, you think you can do it by yourself? Fine, give it a go. Think about Samson, right? They kept asking, where's your strength from? Where's your strength from? I mean, he wasn't a big guy. I think on purpose, God probably made him a skinny guy, right? And he's so strong because the God was with him. But then he started using that power for his own gain. He started dabbling with girls. Started dabbling with alcohol. Started going to parties. Started touching things he shouldn't touch. And then Judges 16, 20, and she said, this is Delilah, and the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Just a word of warning for those who sit in church and think, I'll get my heart right when I want to get it right. God might have left you a long time ago. 
So we live in a general, I'll just get it right later. Maybe. But you might have no eyes. This is why you need to serve God properly. Because people, they play games with God and they expect, God, you just need to change everything just like that. No. Samson got his strength back after he was a prisoner and after he was mocked. The purpose of God giving you and I a miracle is to glorify him. That's the whole reason. Luke 9, 1 and 2. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He gave them power to preach. He gave them power to do something for him. It's his purposes. And as soon as they stopped glorifying God, the miracle stopped. Do you know that every revival in history has stopped because a man got cocky, basically. A man started getting up himself. Or a church started getting prideful. A church started getting religious. A church started saying, yeah, I used to be, I remember back then, but I'm, I'm mature now. I used to be all out for God, but I'm mature. No, you're not. How did the Azusa Street Revival stop? It started in 1905, 04, 05, 06. And it stopped just under 10 years later, 1912, 1913. The reason being, it's because there were fractions in the church. They started fighting in the church. The person who was in charge of follow-up had an argument, and they took all the follow-up cards and left. So all the people that had been following up, they took them all, and they had no contact with any of these people. What a horrible, it was a lady, what a horrible lady. What a horrible person. And then the leaders in the church you know, said, you know what? Nah, it's not for me. I'm going to go do my own thing. And conflicts and rebellion and pride. And it broke one of the greatest moves of God. You should, you should read about the Azusa Street Revival. Because people did what was right in their own eyes. So the question I have for you, are you flowing with God? Are you flowing with God personally? Don't worry about your brother. Don't worry about your sister. Don't worry about anybody else. Are you flowing with God? Because if you're not flowing with God, who are you flowing with? In our text, the people made idols. Verse 25, there's altars to idols. And this is, I believe this is the main reason why we don't have miracles as much today is because people have fallen into idolatry. Now, idolatry is not just you have this big picture of this animal or whatever. This is what idolatry is. Quote, it says, idolatry is when you worship what you should use and use what you should worship. Idolatry is when you worship what you should use and use what you should worship. People worship Korea and use God for a better career. People worship family and culture and traditions, money, self, fame, relationships, all the things that God blesses us with, and yet we worship them and use God to get to them. Pastor Warner's got a very deep quote. He says, one of the evilest things in God's eyes is idolatry. Now, why is that? The reason it's so evil in God's eyes is because you've replaced God God is a jealous God. And God will not be, not be the half-throned. He won't share a throne. 
Let me tell you, for all those that are thinking, should I serve God or, or do this? Let me remind you, uh, idols, they demand an altar. It's not just, oh, I'll just do that, then come back. No, no. When, when, you, when you serve an idol, which means anything other than God is your focus, they demand you bow at an altar. And altars always require sacrifice. Because this is what we think, I'll just do that for a bit and then I'll, I'll get this. No, 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 no. It's going to cost you big time. Big time. There's no such thing as a part-time idol. Uh, Hideyoshi is a, Jap- uh, a Japanese warlord who ruled over Japan in the late 1500s. He commissioned a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine in Kyoto. It took 50,000 men five years to build. Can you imagine that? 50,000 men five years to build this massive shrine to Buddha. But the work had scarcely been completed when the earthquake of 1596 brought the roof of the shrine crashing down and wrecked the statue. In rage, Hideshio shot an arrow at the fallen colossus. He says, I put you here at great expense, he shouted, and you can't even look after your own temple. It's a true story. Let me tell you, that idol that you're serving is not going to look after you. And it won't protect you. In fact, it's going to come crashing down and it's going to cost you big time. Because if you're not bowing to God, you're bowing to another God. You will bow before something. And if it's not God, because people say, I'm just, I'm just not ready, it's because you're bowing to another God. You're bowing to lust. Bowing to rebellion. Bowing to the great shrine of self. And God will not bring miraculous to the people who bow before another God. Matthew 15, 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth but and honor me with their lips, but their heart, far from me. Who's he talking to? Religious people. He's talking to people in church more than you and I. So the question I have, are you flowing with God? Are you flowing with God or are you fighting with God? Because God will not flow miracles to people who don't flow with him. So it's closed with the gaining of miracles. I want you to understand, church, that God wants to do a miracle in your life more than you want the miracle to actually happen. Did you realize that? Like, God actually wants to be involved in our lives. He loves us so much. And he wants to do the miraculous in every one of our lives. In our text, the Midianites, they're destroying God's people, the crops, and it's, it's horrible. And God wants it to stop in verse 6. So that Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Maybe there's an area that's barren in your life. There's an area that you've been reduced to starvation in. And there's an area that's really, you're really struggling. Listen, God wants that to stop. And God wants that area to become fruitful again. He's a compassionate God and He wants to help us. He wants to do the miraculous. And He wants to get involved in our lives. And while we're freaking out about our lives, oh, how's this going to work out? I don't know, I don't know. God is just sitting there. I love verse 11. And the angel Lord came down and sat under the tree. Here's Gideon. And God's just, just sitting there. He's, he's just waiting for Gideon. Like while we're freaking out about our life, how is this going to work out? God's like, if you just ask me, I'll tell you. Like God's not freaking out about your freaking out problem. God doesn't freak out. Amen? God knows what's going on. And the times, the things that we're so anxious and worried about, God's just sitting there relaxed in control. And he's waiting for us just to reach him. So we have to understand this truth if we're going to get the miraculous. Number one, God doesn't move independently of people. 
Because God is a sovereign God, which means He does what He wants. And there's times revival comes sovereignly, but I don't have time to get into that today. But God works His miraculous power through people. It's like God having the key, but we turn the key. We have a part to play. God has linked His power to a human vessel. Think about that. God has linked His power to a human vessel. God could have destroyed the Midianites immediately, couldn't He? Couldn't He have just sneezed and they just... But he didn't. What did he do? He went to Gideon. Think about Moses. God could have delivered God's people just like that, but he chose Moses. God could have delivered, uh, healed all these people, but he got Peter's shadow to get involved. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for someone that he could show himself strong on your behalf if you will be loyal to him. God wants to do the miraculous through each and every one of us. And I know what you're thinking after I said that. I know what you're saying, Pastor, God could do it, but God can't use me. I'm not strong enough. I haven't been saved long enough. I can't do the miraculous. I don't have what it takes. I'm a weak Christian. God can't do the miraculous through me. In our text, Gideon is not a strong dude. He's a dumb dude. Dumb. Can you imagine God looking down? He's like, Jesus is like, are you sure this is the guy? Like, is this the one? Like the dumbest thing. It's like a dog chasing his tail. It's never going to work. And then God comes down. Look. And look how many times he references him and you and I. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Well, that's a lie. Right there. Straight away. So hold on a second. I don't think so. But he was. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said, Oh Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. Here's Gideon, insecure, weak, dumb, got all these issues in his life, the least in his tribe, and God chose him. And maybe you'll hear this one, God, I've got these problems and I'm going through this. God wants to use you. People think God only uses strong and perfect people. Ha! Have you read your Bible? He used Moses the murderer. Wouldn't you think, if there's anything that will disqualify us, luckily they're not a Jehovah's Witness because they can't get saved after you murder. Like, so thank God, right? What about Peter the denier, the liar? Peter, the, the one who can't stop swearing or cutting people's ears off. Probably went for his head but missed. What about Paul who killed Christians and broke churches down? What about Jonah who ran from God? What about David who his father neglected him and he ended up committing adultery and, and murder? A man after God's own heart. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, sure, right. And I'll touch on a little bit more tonight on what this means. But these are the types of people God uses. And if you're here, you're not perfect. Yes, thank God. Because you now could be used. God wants to use you. And God you called Gideon strong when he was still weak. And listen to me, God is calling your name this morning. He's calling you in your weakness to step up and do something for God. 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 27. I love this verse. You should highlight it in your, in your Bibles. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I love that. For <laughs> you see your calling, brethren. Not many are wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. 
Thank God that God could use foolish people like us. Amen. Like you don't, have, you do not have to be the wisest, smartest, strongest, fittest, best looking, because you'll probably be up yourself, right? And you'll see in the next chapter that they, they had like thirty thousand people. God says, "I'm not going to use thirty thousand because you'll get up yourself. I need three hundred." Pastor Mitchell, one of the greatest apostles to ever live, would you say? Do you know what he did? He was a laundry technician. Whoa. He was really a man that God really wanted to use. He started our fellowship when he was 40 years old. He started at 40. Took over a church that the, the father and son had committed adultery in the church. That's a great church to take over. Wouldn't that be a great way to start a new revolution of the church? William Seymour, the one that started... I know I'm going a bit long this morning, but I'm not preaching tonight, so you can have the night, so it's all right. So... William Seymour, the one that started the, the, the Pentecostal movement in Azusa Street, he was a black man who had scars all through his face because of a skin condition and was blind in one eye. And God says, you know, I'm going to start the greatest revival of the 1900s. Who am I going to pick? Hey, pirate man. He's probably had a pirate patch on his, you know, you. I know they're racist and all that, but I'll use you. Do you think God can't use you? Come on, stop being up yourself. Stop being like, I need to do this and I need to do that. Jack, you just need to trust God. Turn to God. So how do we do this? Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go. Listen to me, guys. The Lord is turning to you. He's looking at you and he's telling you to go and to move. So three things. Man, I went way too long this morning. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Should I stop it? And uh, I'll, I'll go as quick as I I'm sorry. I'm really, I, I don't preach this. I'm sorry. So stepping into the miraculous, three ways to step into the miraculous. Number one, you need to destroy the idols in your life. It says in Judges 6, 25 and 26, that he went and God told him, go, I want you to get a bull, and I want you to make a sacrifice, but I want you to go to those altars that are sacrificed to Baal, which is a false god, break them down, cut them down, burn them, and put your sacrifice on top of them. You know how much time you spent at that idol before you got saved? This is how you, this is how you burn an idol, is that you do more for God than you did for that. Right? How many of you went to rugby practice three times a week? And then, man, I have to come to church Wednesday? Oh, my Lord. What, what is this? What is this? Please. Oh, what is this? Please. Get, get back to the altar. Get saved. What is this? Remember how much money you spent on alcohol before? Remember how much you were dedicated to the alcohol and the drugs? And the how about you spend that much money on your tithes and offerings? And then, whew, all that time you spent, sacrifice that and do it for God. Then you won't have enough time to be, have all these other idols. The reason I don't have as much time to do other stuff because I'm... God's my idol, and I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing to that. I don't have time. The reason why you, you, you've got all these idols idols, because you you're not spending enough time with God. You need to cut them down, not just keep them to the side. Smash it. Smash those idols. Break them. And whatever it is for you, break those things. Destroy them and sacrifice what you had for that. Sacrifice that to God. Number two, develop faith and expectancy. So, Gideon didn't have enough faith to defeat at that time, to defeat the Midianites. The Bible says there, was, there were like swarms of locusts. People say 65,000, some people say 130,000, but they were like, like locusts, that's how many they were. And so he needed to grow his faith slowly. So what he did is the text, what's the next scripture? Gracie, can you put it up? I can't remember. So, that one. so what he says, he says, God, if you're really going to help me, can you um, make this fleece, like this wool, I'm going to put on the ground. I want everything to be dry, but in the morning I want, you, I want to come and find the fleece wet. And if that's wet and everything else is dry, I know that you're with me, God. And so he goes in the morning, goes and finds it, and that's wet and everything else is dry. He rings it out, fills a whole bowl, bowl full of water. 
And so, again, this is not to test God, but this is, this, God wants to do smaller miracles to give you faith to do greater miracles. And some people are like, I only need this much faith to do... No, no, just faith is something that grows. You develop your faith. You develop your expectancy. He had enough faith to see the, the fleece go, go wet when everything else was dry. Then he was able to start defeating the, the enemy. And so, church, even before you pray for the guy in the wheelchair, how about you pray for the guy with a headache? Build your faith. Before you think, I'm going to do these great things, how about you just do the small things first? Get some wins under your belt and grow. Pastor Mitchell does healing crusades, and he's going to do one in Perth next uh, couple of weeks. And what he does, he prays straight away. He prays for legs to be, uh, backs to be healed, deaf ears to be opened, because these things, we've seen these miracles all the time, and that increases faith. He doesn't go straight away for the guy in the wheelchair or the cancer. He does that, and it builds faith. Then afterwards, there's so much faith in the church, then he starts to pray for these greater things, and greater miracles happen because faith starts small, and then it grows. So church, build your faith. Believe God for smaller things, and then believe God for greater things. Mark 6, 5. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people to heal them. Now, this, this verse scares me because Jesus was restricted by unbelief. So if Jesus came to our church, could he do many miracles? Oh, God could do anything. Well, he, here, the unbelief stopped him. Are you stopping God? Do you have faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus said in Mark 9, if you can believe, all things are possible to he who believes. How many of you believe God could do the miraculous? Say amen. amen. How many believe that God can multiply our church this year? Amen. How many you can believe that he can multiply your finances and your influence and your spiritual maturity and your growth, your leadership? How many believe God can save their family this year? And save their friends and save... How many believe God can heal the sick and make the lame to walk and the blind to see? And God could do all these miracles. If we believe, all things are possible. But faith is something that is built. And so I encourage you to start building your faith. And finally, be determined not to quit. Determined not to quit. You know, the reason many people don't believe or expect miracles is because we prayed once and nothing happened. So that's it. We're not, we're not praying ever again. I prayed for someone, they got worse. I'm not praying ever again, you know. It's like, it's scary. But that's the wrong mentality. The mentality we need to have is God said it, and I don't base my, my faith on experience. I base it on the Word of God. And even if I don't see it, God can still work. Because I base it, we walk by faith, not by sight. Do not base your faith on your own personal experience. And the greatest example, again, is William Seymour. He started preaching on people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And he didn't speak in tongues. He, didn't, he wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. He didn't know how to. But he preached on it for three weeks. Can you imagine that? Preaching on the Holy Spirit and not being filled with the Holy Spirit. And everyone else is getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And not him. He's like praying and there's Shonda and he prays. And then he's like, ah, oh, nothing. It's ran out. Like, nothing's happening with him. But he had that much faith saying that even if I don't experience it, God's word is still true. And God responded to his faith and started one of the greatest revivals ever. And then he did get filled with the Holy Spirit afterwards. But he started without seeing. And so if you don't see it straight away, don't quit. What's the worst thing that could happen if you pray for someone to be healed and they don't get healed? What's, what's the worst thing could, that could happen? They stay the same. Nothing happened except your pride and ego, right? That's it. That's all that happened. What if we prayed for someone and they did get healed? Then God gets all the glory. So we're not losing. 
It's just our own pride and our own ego. But push that aside and trust God. Step out of the boat and let's see what's going to happen. Maybe you stepped out and maybe like Peter, you started to drown before you started to walk. It's okay. Get out again. Give it another shot. How many of you, you've, you've seen someone walk out of a wheelchair before? Okay. How many of you prayed for someone to walk out of a wheelchair before? One, two, three, four. Okay, so four. So are we going to just, that's it, it doesn't happen. Imagine if all of us prayed for it this year. And I'm not just, I'm just using that as an extreme example. To believe for great things. God will back us if we continue to step out. He wants, like Pastor Mitchell preached last Sunday night, he wants us to be obedient to his word, not just on the, uh, what happens, but have faith in what he says. And many times, we just, we have not because we ask not. Many times, it's because we don't, we don't believe enough. We don't, we don't really believe God's going to do this. So ask, seek, knock. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that we can ask or imagine. The greatest thing you can imagine, God could do more than that. So let this year be a year of miracles. Increase your faith. Get down, get rid of those idols. Stop playing with God and saying, God, I don't know if I'm going to serve you or not. You don't even know who God is if that's what you're thinking. You need to meet the true God, the one who made you. Everything is made through Christ and he's got a plan for your life and he wants to use you and he wants to flow through you. If we would just be people that say, yeah, God, flow through me, God. Use me, God. I'll break those idols. They're, not, they're dead anyway, but God, you're a real God and I'm going to serve you with all my heart and we'll see God work this year. So let's start this year with confidence and see our minds blown in 2020. How many of you believe that? You say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Hallelujah. I appreciate everyone this morning coming and being part of this service. Quickly, there's people here, you're unsaved or backslidden, you need Christ. You're far away from Jesus and you need to get your heart right. Quickly, that's you. 